0: thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening everybody and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, the late show. Uh, Really delighted to be here with such an important topic to discuss this evening which is all things teacher recruitment and retention. So we're going to get stuck into that very, very soon. Uh, Just before we start, it would be a, a really good point for me to mention that the show tonight is supported very kindly by my new term. Um, so if you have ever applied for a job and thought, you know what, I, wanna, I need to apply for 10 jobs and I don't want to apply again and again with different application forms, I, I've done that and I literally hated it. So um, my new term are the solution to that problem. So um, if you haven't checked them out already, please do. And I know that Wayne from my new term is going to be joining us tonight, which is really, really exciting. Um, Sharing their insights in terms of uh, what uh, they have been doing to support the crisis. And we are going to use the word crisis that has sort of. What what word should I use? Um, Enveloped the profession. And I I think we've always said, oh, there's a problem with teacher recruitment and retention. I think we've always said that um, in the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. But I think in the last year or two, I think since 2020, I feel as though things have escalated. It's not just how I feel. If you look at the statistics, if you look at the numbers joining the profession, the targets of people entering ITT, so initial teacher training, aren't being hit uh, i think there's only two subjects um out of what 20 plus where the targets have been hit for recruiting into initial teacher training uh the numbers leaving the profession are still significantly higher than what the government and everybody else would would want them to be um i mean you've, you've still got that famous statistic of i think it's one in three quit in the first five years or uh, of teaching and things like this i mean those statistics still exist um and not only that i think covid and we will discuss this in the show this evening i think covid has um made teachers think to themselves do you know what i want to change my lifestyle and i want to work more flexibly and i want to change the way in which I'm approaching, whether that be getting a part-time job, whether that be working in a school where flexi working is supported, um, whether that be uh, perhaps, I mean, a lot of teachers weirdly have actually applied for jobs in online schools. I mean, there's been a massive growth in teachers thinking, you know, I've liked working from home. So actually what I'm going to do now is I'm going to work in a virtual school. Um, So so actually, you know, there's a whole raft of things there that we will sort of explore this evening in the show. Um, Now, I've got uh, two, no, actually three special guests. Um, I'll introduce uh, possibly. Yeah, I'll introduce Wayne to start with. Wayne, we'll just check you're there. We'll check you can hear us if you want to unmute yourself.
1: Yeah. Good evening, Tom. I am here. Good
0: evening. How are you today? <clears throat> I'm really good, thank you. Yeah. Are you well? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so listen, let's let's sort of get into this because there's such a huge amount to discuss this evening, um, and we we've got. I mean, I, th- I think I should start really by asking you to introduce yourself and what you do, and. Um, why you're on this show with me this evening
1: <clears throat> yeah i can certainly do that so i think um it might be therefore helpful if i could almost go back in time and tell the story a little bit in terms of Please how do. my new term came about and and how i kind of end up to where i am today so if i go back to Oh, Over 10 years ago now, I was um, studying at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle, complete my degree, and then I went off and worked in industry for a little while. All the while, I kind of always had this feeling that I would go into teaching, and an opportunity came up um, for a bursary to go into teaching, um, and so I I took that opportunity and I went to study at the University of Bedfordshire and did a PGC in secondary mathematics. Um, Enjoyed my time doing that really loved it but it was during my pgc year that i realized that there was a real problem that i kind of stumbled across and that problem was applying for jobs to work in schools and i just thought it was a ridiculous process that you had to go through um as a candidate you had to complete this long ridiculous application form that a school was requesting typically It was a Word document, which can be incredibly difficult to format and fill in, and especially when you need to include things such as your full employment history. And what I found was obviously completing that and then submitting it, let's say, to a particular school, um, would take you a good two to three hours to do it properly and do it well. But then, of course, if you wanted to apply to the next school down the road, for example, or the next one, um, you had to complete their own form themselves. So you have to repeat all the details you've just added on this first one and then submit it to the next school. And it was a problem that had effectively come about by the academy sector. Um, And what I mean by that is historically, um, before then, it was predominantly local authorities. So there would be one application form across a local authority and therefore that application form could be used across multiple schools. With the academy sector, um, it basically meant that each school was then, or each academy trust was creating their own application process in their own form, whether that be, um, you know, a Word document and they kind of rebrand it if you like, or, you know, not really much at that time, um, but nowadays more are going obviously digitally. So it was my own personal experience that really kind of, where I stumbled across the process to apply for jobs, thought this is ridiculous, Um, it can be just done so much better. Um, So I then conducted research with my peer group, as in the people that I was training with. Was it just me that was feeling like this, or was it everybody else? Um, And it very much was everyone else in my peer group. And then I also did research with a number of schools as well, and I found out that actually schools spend an awful lot of money on recruitment through advertising services, through recruitment agencies, money that I felt was just, um, you know, wasted in, in many cases. So that's where the idea came from. And I set about creating what I believed was a digital solution to solve the problem, to standardize the application process to apply for jobs in education, to solve the problem I was facing that as a teacher, it was just taking an absolute age to apply directly to schools. And many of my peers at the time decided to go down the recruitment agency route. Um, because it was just so much easier to give an agency your CV, off they go, and they obviously then come back to you with with available opportunities. Um, but, of course, obviously that costs schools huge amounts of money yeah. in finders fees. So that really kind of summarises, you know, the story, the backstory, and then subsequently um, I've gone on to go and create that particular solution. First time I did create it, it did actually fail. Um, but subsequently it's now yeah. gone on and it's, it's used by, you know, thousands of schools across the country. Yeah, which, which is
0: incredible. And, uh, I mean, how long has it been going for way my new term? How long has it existed <clears throat> as a platform?
1: So we formally launched it in September 2017, um, but we kind of did a bit of a soft launch, and we gave it away free to schools in a very small geographical area, starting off in Luton and then expanding slightly out into central Bedfordshire, Bedfordshire. Um, and it's really grown since then. So, obviously, then COVID hit in the early part of 2020, as we all know, and that really slowed things down. So it's really kind of kicked on since about March 21. Um So it's been, you know, going properly for, for you know, since September 2017, but it's really since, you know, the middle of 2021 that it's now started to get a bit more of a, a national presence, if you like.
0: Got you, got you. And with, <clears throat> obviously you run a very successful and big sort of, um, Uh, organization that deals directly with teacher recruitment, right? So you are a person who has a handle on what is going on right now. So I wanted to ask you, Wayne, from your perspective, um, since 2017, since you started doing this, and it was probably prior to 2017, wasn't it, that you started to research it and all the rest of it. But, you know, in that time frame, is this the most challenging time that has been for schools in terms of recruiting teachers in general?
1: Um, broadly speaking, I'd say, yes, it is. Um, it's it, the dynamics have changed and they continue to change. Um, but This at the moment um, is is seeming to be um, the most challenging period. And I, I go back to the early years um, or even before when I'd launched my new term, there was still a lot of talk about recruitment challenges in particular in what I would classify as the shortage subjects, typically in secondary. So if you looked at your maths and your sciences, computer science, they were the ones that were obviously attracting the big bursaries for people to obviously go into teaching. And if you remember, there was you know, huge amounts of discussion and ongoing nature in, in relation to that. Um, so, you know, that, that um, commentary, if you like, has gone on for a considerable amount of time and that's not changed. However, yeah. I've noticed some some big things that have kind of changed, you know, within the past couple of years. Um, so firstly, the, the kind of one thing that really happened kind of during and post-COVID was support staff. So this could be obviously teaching assistants um, and those sort of people that are working within schools. And... It was really noticeable at the decline in applications that schools were starting to receive for a number of support roles. Um, We can put this down to a number of different factors, Um, but some things would include, for example, um, obviously post-COVID, there are now many more opportunities to work from home. There are many more opportunities that people can work more flexibly. Um, There is obviously within the private sector, if you like, and industry more generally, um, wages, have really increased and you can go yeah. and work at amazon and in supermarkets typically speaking for um you know higher wages than you you can work in some school settings especially if it's term time only roles for example so <clears throat> um, we noticed a real decline in in that um during that particular period um and that's kind of one thing that obviously started and then really you know there's been a prolonged period now of certain teacher subjects has become a real challenge the shortage subjects hasn't gone away um if anything it's been exa- exacerbated um but then it's also crept into other subject areas other specialisms um, but i really should you know highlight that there is a real variation geographically across the country um big differences and also differences in in age ranges so obviously, I know we're going to be joined very soon by by guest Kate Fay, and you know she'll talk about her experiences as a a primary e c t applying for jobs um in in a particular area of the country that really isn't facing any challenges at all. It's almost the opposite end of the spectrum um whereas obviously you we can easily go into and speak to many a school that are finding it incredibly difficult to recruit for certain certain specialisms and um, obviously i know we're joined by stuffy and he'll be able to go into that into, into great detail
0: fantastic and i want to i wanted sort of just to, just to dig <clears> in <throat> a little bit more on that before we move past that is the the variation that you mentioned can you give me a specific example of that if possible way
1: <clears throat> yeah um so i am aware of a school in the Yorkshire area that has received um in excess of seventy applications for a class teacher vacancy um, this is primary in this particular yeah. regard, whereas in different you know areas, and I would say also um rural primary schools or rural schools more generally. Um, do find it you know again increasingly challenging especially if they're particularly small and it could be multiple year groups you know it is not uncommon at times depending on whether at, that they would receive zero one two applications in comparison so it really does have some big variances um, across the country and likewise also does the independent sector um, you know in, in terms of that
0: yeah i mean it's interesting and, and we'll bring kate in now hopefully kate if you want to unmute yourself um, hopefully yep there you are good evening good evening how are you you okay
2: um, yeah great thank you you yeah.
0: not not too bad now i think you have just secured your first role for september is that right
2: i uh,
3: have indeed yes well yeah.
0: congratulations um, <laughs> thank
3: you. do you want to talk
0: us through sort of the process of you uh sort of getting that role to to date
3: uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so um, I had, was looking for uh, something within the Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire area. Um, and lots of things that, that Wayne's already mentioned, really, you know, trying different uh, formats. There's been a couple of different uh, application tracking systems that I've had to use um, and um, or with some schools, they just have their own application form uh, entirely. What what Uh, um... do you
0: mean by that, um, Kate? Can you just sort of expand on that in terms of the application tracking forms?
3: Uh, yeah, so some schools have obviously bought into things like My New Term, where um, that people are applying to jobs uh, through their application tracking system. So, Got you. Um, yeah, so My New Term, which was actually the, the easiest one to use, um, and um, I was actually praying that a job would um, come up through My New Term that I could apply for, because it was so easy, and I knew that all of my information was going to be saved, and that, that way I would just have to tweak my personal statement. And I could apply for a job really easily. Now, we um, don't
0: want to, Kate, we don't want to blow Wayne's trumpet too much. I know. In terms of <laughs> this, but, but I would like you to tell me why my new term has been great for you.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, as I've mentioned, um, that it saves all of my details, whereas other applicant tracking systems that I try to use, they don't. So, yes. you would apply for a job and you would still have to then start all over again. And I'm a mature person uh student, you know, I'm in my late 30s. I have um a quite a, a lengthy career uh history. So you have to do that all the way to when you left school. Um and that takes a while, doesn't it? Um so that was frustrating when uh you, you had to have to repeat to do that, especially when using an applicant tracking system. Whereas with my new term I knew that everything is already saved on there and, and I was just tweaking my personal statement then. Um, in consideration of, of whatever school I needed to apply for. Um, but also the fact that it's just the whole platform, I find, is really um, user-friendly. Um, I think it's quite... It is very modern and, and, and quite well laid out. Um, and I really like orange. So that's a bonus. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, all of it was great. Um, it, in the end, um, the, the actual school that I applied, and I got a job with. Um, they had their own um, application form, just a form. So it, it was uh, that's how I applied for it. And I had to put all my details on and. Um, and that was that is with uh, a more rural school within the Nottinghamshire area. Uh, let, but let, obviously- me, let me
0: ask you, Kate, how many jobs did you go for before getting the one you've got now, if you don't mind me asking?
3: Uh, that's OK. No, I applied for two um, in the Lincolnshire area. And uh, when I asked just for feedback, they just said that they'd had 35 applicants for one job okay That's <laughs> so, nice, uh, isn't it <laughs> yeah. so uh, that you know just reiterating the things that wayne's kind of already touched on that uh in some areas you seem to have a, a wealth of teachers applying for just a few positions um and whether or not that actually is a hint towards the retention issue um rather than there you know not being enough um being too many jobs that, for And was this it, the
0: link? was it, this, was was it, this it, the Lincolnshire area, did you say?
3: Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of read like like Wayne said, the regional variation and on, on 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 these roles and these jobs. Um I, I wanted to say, Kate, do you do you think the application process, because you, you've just got this 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 role for September. Yeah. Do you think actually the the way in which the application process is generally dawn and the differences around that and particularly sort of the arduous nature of it in terms of having to fill in you know 10 different application forms if you want to go for 10 different jobs in teaching and you know some of them ask for you, you know um different things you know uh when, when you go to apply do you think that's an actual an actual problem in terms of you know was there a point where you thought do you know what? i can't be bothered with this
2: yeah well I I
3: applied for uh, one of the jobs before Easter and I just thought oh I'm just going to leave it now for a little while because I just did think you know this is it takes a lot of time a lot of effort for jobs that potentially I'm not even going to get an interview for um so it was off-putting I think but um and I think that you know other people that I know um from my teacher training my training colleagues have had similar experiences where they've applied for jobs and there have been um, too many applicants, so they've not been given an interview. And I think it is, it, it can be a bit demoralising, but I, I, you know, I understand the, the reasoning for needing sort of that background information, particularly when you're working in, in education. So,
0: But I can sort of see why you were saying, oh, do you know what, I wish I could get a job through my new term for the simple oh, yeah. fact that that you, correct me if I'm wrong here, and Wayne can correct me if I'm wrong, but Basically, you you log on to the site, you set up a profile, you upload you know whatever you need to upload, and then you can use that to apply for however many jobs you want to apply for.
3: Yeah, you have your personal profile, so it's got all, you once you've put in all of that information about your work history, any um, gaps in employment. Uh, that's all just saved on there then for you and that's the laborious part of it isn't it so
0: absolutely and then the schools themselves and, and Wayne might need to come here on on this bit but the schools themselves who sign up to my new term um they they can sort of just sort of say right this is what we want and then it all goes through my new term the the actual application process
3: yeah, I'm sure that's
0: like a way of is that right, Wayne? I think that's right, isn't
1: it? Yeah, that's basically exactly it. And yeah. you know, there are some real big benefits for schools doing that. You know, it, it digitizing the process makes it attractive to candidates, it's about streamlining it, and obviously, like Kate's experience, about like, making it as easy as possible, um, solving that problem that I set out at the very beginning, um, about why I created the first lectures make the process for candidates as easy as possible whether you're applying to be a cleaner a teaching assistant a teacher a head teacher um, all the details that school require are the same you can standardize it in the main apart from a personal statement that can make it really you know um personal for schools but if a school receives you know 20 30 applications for a job that creates a lot of workload it creates a lot of workload for somebody to schedule those interviews to um Complete those references and also notify unsuccessful applicants, which is, to be honest, my biggest bugbear when I was applying for jobs in schools that schools just didn't let you know. And it was kind of it just goes into the ether. Whereas our system makes it very easy to notify, let's say, the 30 unsuccessful people um, with a really nice personalized message, but it takes the school all of 30 seconds to do it. Um, And it's just about streamlining that process for employers to to make it as easy and as seamless as possible to just manage things digitally. Um, and you know, schools and people working in offices, um, within schools or business managers are incredibly busy people. Um, and there's lots to do. And therefore this is just one, um, facet within their role. And therefore it's about streamlining it from their perspective as much as it is from a candidate point of view.
0: And I know you mentioned like from a school perspective, they save a lot of money through this. Um, can you explain sort of how, why they do that? Because I know how expensive it is for schools to advertise for jobs on on some platforms. So yep. can, can you sort of explain, uh, there must be multiple facets to this in terms of how they save money?
1: Yeah, there really is. That, and, and you could go into this in lots of different areas. Um, to be honest, the best person to probably answer this question is Suffian, um, who, yes, who will be on later. Um, yes. Yes.
0: Well, he'll be on in about five minutes, um yeah, sophie, okay. let's yeah. check he's actually there, Sophie, are you there? I'm not sure he's there, you know, sophie, you might need to recall back in actually. you're listed as a speaker, but I can't hear you, so um maybe admin can can uh, can dm you as well. oh, here we go I've got a request for him now, so we'll see if that works um but yeah we we'll, we'll speak to him in five minutes time um but but I'm here, yeah, go, I'm here I by mean, the way. Oh, there he is. He's here. Um, so, we were just saying there um, in terms of – because what I'm going to talk to you about is all the different strategies to try and manage and deal with the challenge of teacher recruitment and retention, right, particularly teacher recruitment, but um, but but schools trying to recruit, right? Yep. But I, But I wanted to – that would be a really good segue just before we 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 talk about any of that is is what wayne's just said in terms of how my new term which i believe you use um might uh help a school or save a school money when it comes to this sort of advertising for jobs getting candidates their applications and so on i don't know whether you can go into that a little bit if you if you would
4: yeah i, I think One of the biggest uh, shortfalls in the system is the fact that actually we talk about schools being more prudent, financially prudent around uh, trying to manage their budgets. But the amount schools spend on advertising posts and re-advertising posts in really expensive outlets, uh, what we find is the data, the most important thing about my new term is The intelligence that it gives us so we get lots of rich data that tells us how far are people travelling for our roles so if we know that in Luton people are travelling typically three miles to their school why on earth would I need to advertise in a national paper when actually the last Mm. 100 recruitments we've made are 80% of them are travelling less than 15 miles in total so that intelligence allows you to be better prepared around how you target the people you want to target and what approaches you take. And I'll come on to that a bit later on. And so I think that element of the data is probably really important, but also talent management. So that pipeline of talent, you have five people apply for a history job in a great school. You have a school down the road where nobody applies. How do you harness the talent of the four credible candidates that didn't get the job in school A, how do you keep them on your talent profile? So we one of the things that we really effectively use is our talent pool on My New Term. Anyone who's ever shown an interest in working for us, we're strongly trying to recommend go up onto our talent pool because if you're on our talent pool, every time a vacancy comes up, I know where to look, I know what to look for, and I can go back and see, actually, you were a great candidate. You just marginally missed out to somebody else. But you could do a fantastic job. And now an opportunity has arisen. We're really interested in speaking to you. So managing that talent pipeline before your vacancies occur. And also those that are unsuccessful. How do you make sure that in a climate where it's so ultra competitive that you don't want to say goodbye to anyone? So even if it is a goodbye, it's never goodbye from us. It's a temporary. uh, We'll see you later. It's not right now. But I'm sure someone's. I'm,
0: I'm sure, Sophie, that you've just dropped about twenty different song lyrics into the last one minute <laughs> of sort of commentary. It was like goodbye is not a goodbye, and sometimes it's not enough to say goodbye. And you know, we could go through them all. Honestly, I think you're a songwriting genius in the making. Uh, um, I, I, I was going Could Could you just go in a little bit more on this idea of the talent pool for me in terms of what that is? Because some people might be confused. You're talking about talent pool. I get it. It's a, I'm guessing what you mean here is there's a pool of people who have shown an interest in jobs at your school who you can then tap into through my new term so the idea traditionally you you had a vacancy
4: and you put your vacancy out and you have dozens of people that apply and in the good times whether we like to admit they were good times or not but you had multiple applications and there were times when people would get a job and they'd punch the air in celebration they've got a job right now uh you have people graduating from ITT that go for six interviews and get all six offered to them and they just see that as a default when you go to apply for a job you get the job a lot of people see that as a default in especially in areas where there's very high competition and low supply so for us the talent pool function on their system and on their platform is throughout the year, my job and the job of colleagues that work in our schools is to ensure that we're constantly looking to develop links, see people that are interested in working for us, people who miss out on opportunities to work for us. And we say to them, look, it didn't work out this time, but we're really interested in you and you've got a lot to offer. If you join our talent pool, when the right opportunity occurs, and it may not be this school, what we mm. can do is come back to you and say, you expressed an interest for working with Children Learning Trust, and now I'm really interested because School B down the road doesn't have a history teacher, and I really want you to come along and work for us in that school. And when I've got a talent pool of 70, 80, 120 people that I can call on when a job yeah. a vacancy comes up, the worst that can happen is somebody says, look, I've taken a job not right now. Well that's great but actually I want to stay in touch because with the competition the way it is in the market I want to make sure that we stay in touch and we'll be we'll we'll check back in in a year's time and if you're still happy where you are fine but if you're still looking to work for us and you really want to work for us yeah and if you're on our talent pool uh, it's a bit like you're still on that dating website and if you're on the website it's fair game for me to contact Sophie you. and
0: please don't mention EduDate <laughs> in, on Teacher Talk Radio it's um it's very inappropriate actually to mention them um, teacher I dating. just thought I knew
4: EduDate were listening in so I wanted to give that little plug
0: <laughs> um but I wanted to I wanted to ask in terms of because because if you were to then because we are going to move on to all these different elements right we're going to look at all the different strategies this is just one part of it which is obviously it's an important part which is the teacher application process and the and the way and obviously with um you know we're talking about my new term in that context i wanted to ask you like other like that must be better than than other uh sort of um whether that be an agency or whether that be another recruitment or advertising site that you use, presumably you don't get that opportunity of having that sort of um, contact point, if you know what I mean, with all the the talent pool.
4: What what we're doing, and it's surprising, we've got 17 schools and we don't spend any money on advertising and we haven't done so probably. I think I could confidently say that the last hundred and, 50 people that we've recruited is without any adverts and without agencies. Uh, Now, we every now and then, if if we have a great supply teacher in our school uh, that's a musician and we can't get any one and they happen to be from a supply agency, will we then want to take them on? Yes, I get that. But what we don't do is we don't reach out to any agencies whatsoever and we don't advertise that puts the focus back on. What is it that makes people want to work for people? So let's get those things right. Let's make ourselves an attractive proposition in the market so people want to work for us and try and identify what are the factors people look for from an employer. And then let's go out and recognize and network with the talent and make sure that people feel that they can access us, they can come to us. And let's constantly keep the cycle of developing links with talented people as a thing that is done all year through. And let's do that at the highest levels in the organization. So that's not something you f- flog off to somebody else and say, that's somebody. Else. well, that should be sitting with the directors like myself, the CEO and other people in the trust because actually the biggest thing to improve schools is to improve teacher quality. And if you can bring in the best teachers, you're gonna have the best schools. So we make that an absolute priority that recruitment sits at the very top table retention sits at the very top table
0: how do you when you say you've spent no money on advertising for 150 roles um because i mean you could compare that probably to another school and and if you were to then put on the sort of rate that you know i've seen charged for for advertising for roles like a thousand pounds or something for like two weeks or something on on certain platforms um so so really what you're talking about there is potentially 300,000 pounds that you haven't spent um, we,
4: we, we it is very easily i could say in the last 3 years uh we would have saved our schools in the, close to a million pound in yeah. advertising costs that they would have spent uh on just standard adverts now the, but the you, thing but i still haven't really what
0: what i'm trying to get at here is you've still got to reach those people. so And, and,
4: and that's the, that, that's the key thing. So our reach is around social media. Uh, right. And we, we use a mantra and we often call it, we turn up to the opening of an envelope. So because we know that people that work for us work quite locally to us and live quite locally to us, what we want to do is, actually, if there's a summer fair, we want to be there. If there's uh, an event... It, it, in any part of the community. If there's an open day in a mosque, we're there in the mosque. If there's a celebration event in the church, we're there. If it's in the temple, if it's a carnival, whatever it is, we want to be there because we want people to hear and know about us as a brand. Because actually that element of marketing, marketing obviously sometimes gets this really toxic uh, kind of feel and people talk about it in a very toxic way about marketing and education. But marketing... It happens every day in all of our lives.
0: Hi, I'm Troy McClure.
4: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, my one's similar to that with the way I say my name. But uh, I think for for us, it's really important to make sure people know us, people see us, we're visible. Uh, That's really important. Social media is incredibly important. Uh, People knowing what's it like. So the onus is on our school leaders to make sure that they engage with social media because we want people to know what it would be like to work in our schools what the teachers are like what the head teachers like what the leadership teams like but 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 so
0: with that one everyone's doing that so how do you, so so number 1 how, how how do you differentiate between you and an and another school or another sort of organisation doing the same thing um i mean are you doing but anything it, in, in particular so, different or so everyone does social
4: media it's a bit like you can go on to any company and they they everyone's got an insta page everyone's got a facebook page yeah. or a twitter page is how effectively do you use it and is there a strategic thinking behind it so yeah. for us actually we know that retention uh in the sector it's about that whole kind of self actualization people want to be feel that they're worthy people want to be recognized people want sense of belonging people want inclusion so we understand what are the things driving people away from the profession we understand the well-being factor the workload factor and for us it's about making sure that how do you get so you identify the barriers for people wanting to work for any organization how do you break those barriers down in the way your marketing message comes across and how does it come across so they might see our ceo doing roly-polies Uh, uh, in an open day or whatever it may be. (laughs) It's about actually, he needs to look human and people need to identify that he is. He's like everyone else. He's a dad with two young boys in in schools and so on and so forth. People want to be able to engage with people because people work for people. Brands and organizations are one thing. People work for people. So for us, the marketing strategy is bringing the people to life. Uh, Bringing the brands to life, making sure that the things that matter to people are embodied in those brands, in the way those brands carry themselves. So yes, everyone's got a Twitter page. How do they actually bring all of those things I've said together in the way they deliver on their Twitter, in the way they get involved in local events? So we we deliver a lot of local events that are lost leaders. As um, I'm a business teacher, so they don't make us any money a lot of money goes spent on them, whether it's a CPD in a jazz club, whether it's CPD in a children's petting farm where you can bring your kids along uh, with yourself, whatever. All of those things are creating opportunities for people to be able to engage with us, to be able to understand that actually if you turned up to our uh, Luton Ed event, which is we want you to put your wild and wacky uh thoughts about how to change the education system what we want to show people that we're open to ideas and we like platforms where people can be wild wacky and crazy with what they reckon the system needs to change in how it needs to change but we want people to recognize we're open to listening to voices and by putting events on like that actually it links back into those things that we know matter to people having a voice being able to shape the education in the school that they work in they, they matter to people. So we want to make sure that that brand persona and the way we de- deliver on that brand persona is evident through our actions, through our social media, it's the way we carry ourselves, the way we deliver on national conferences or local conferences. It's about our values. So they matter and they clearly are delivering the outcomes because actually what we've shown is we, we've done the right things and people are willing are coming to work for us because they want to work for people who do the right thing at the right time.
0: Yeah. I mean, to sort of summarize what, what you've said there that this is about projecting, um, you know, showing people who you are and, and sort of, you know, enabling them to connect and network and, and sort of almost feel part of it without being part of it yet. If that makes sense. Like it's almost like, you know, I feel like I know these guys, um, you know just just through interacting with them on social media right That'll that all makes sense um j- just before i'm going to ask another question in a minute but i just want to give a shout out to everyone listening along and, and thanks very much for joining us on teachers talk radio tonight it's an absolute pleasure to see everybody here um i'll give a little sh- shout out to some listeners uh we've got lloyd james lloyd thank you very much for listening this evening really do appreciate it um because i know people will be tired potentially on the first day back for a lot of people uh, Mr. Jones, good evening to you, uh, Mrs. M. Peter, Mr. L, Yasmin, uh, we've got Andy. Um, we've got um, goodness, we've just got lots of people. Um Jasmine actually asked a question earlier, which I didn't um, address, which was um, in terms of how, which we might co- have time to come on to later, actually, which is how um, you give feedback to people who don't aren't successful. Because um, I know Kate sort of mentioned that earlier that when she was applying for jobs, she's just got a new role for September. But when she was applying for jobs, she she sort of was one of thirty five applicants for a job, and literally it was like the reply she got was, "You got uh, there were thirty five applicants, so tough luck." Like you know, we haven't got time to sort of go into that because <laughs> there were too many applicants for the job. So maybe later on we can come on to like um, stuffy and how you give out like the feedback or you know do you give out feedback to candidates who aren't successful maybe you could answer that now
4: uh th- that's i think a- an area of development for all of us in the sector because yeah uh, the feedback's really important especially given the fact that if I'm putting on my kind of teaching school hat where we've got new t- entries into the profession they go to a job and they're not getting one or two or three interviews they might go to and they don't get the job they're repeating the same mistakes and we wouldn't allow that in the class because we'd say actually you've got to give feedback because there's no point assessing the person again and again when they've made the same mistake three times so the feedback part is really important for us I think what we tend to do is if people are unsuccessful and employable and that's trying to make it almost manageable so the other day we had uh interviews for a uh, SEND specialist to work across the multi-academy trust now I was listening in to see when uh, Helen who's our director was deciding on who she wanted that there was a couple of candidates I knew that came via myself through social media if they were unsuccessful I wanted to make sure that they join our talent pool especially if they were employable and of a good standard And we feel that they can add value in our schools. Now, they may not have been successful, but I made sure I was a part of that feedback process and listening in. And I made sure I closed the loop with the person who didn't get the job just to say, I'm sorry to hear you're unsuccessful, but we're really interested in you still keeping an interest, a keen interest in working for us. And what would that look like? Would you be interested in a different role? And I think that doesn't take long, but that goes a long way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Jasmine is again. Jasmine, thanks for all your comments tonight. Absolutely smashing. Um, She has made a comment that says retention is an important issue that needs to be discussed. There's no point recruiting people only to have them leave. I think that's a really powerful point, um, Tufian, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you can have the best recruitment in the country. But ultimately, if all those teachers leave within one to two years, then, you know, you're back to square one, aren't you?
4: Yeah, and there's two things. I think one is we can sit there and say the retention issue is largely due to policy decisions around pay and so on and so forth. Uh, And I get the fact that pay is a massive factor, and I get the fact the cost of living crisis is a huge issue. But I think the thing that we can do in schools and we can control, uh, rather than shifting everything on a policy issue, is how we treat people and that brings us back to that kind of moral purpose belonging the need to be recognized the need to be seen so that equity element is really important that giving people a voice but also valuing staff and this is one of the things that when the supply in the system was high and an area we perhaps became complacent in was that Well, tough. If you want to leave, then you can leave because we'll get a replacement. Because those days are now looking like they're gone for a lot of us, we've got to make sure when we get staff, we retain staff. And some of the things that you can do to retain staff don't necessarily involve money and they don't involve massive expressions of big well-being events. And you have a whole school yoga event or something like that once a year and think that's the solution. The solution is actually people want leaders to talk to them. People want to be able to talk to leaders. People want to be able to air their problems. People want people to understand the fact that actually they want a work-life balance and they want their issues at home not to be left at home. Actually, I've got childcare challenges and I can't attend this CPD session. And are, are we going to try and be flexible? Are we going to try and be supportive? The most important thing, again, goes back to the non-monetary rewards, that as people, that pat on the back, that recognition, that appreciation of what every teacher's doing goes a longer way than any increment that we may offer in finance. And I appreciate in difficult times, that's hard to hear, especially if you're not getting paid enough. But it's a bit like when I was a student doing A-level business, I remember my teacher saying, going through Abraham Maslow's theory of uh, needs and the hierarchy of needs, my teacher talking to me and saying, if you had a choice between 50 pounds and a pat on the back, what would you take? And as a kid in college, I said, you'd be absolutely insane taking the pat on the back over the 50 quid, because at that time, at that stage in life, you're thinking about money. As you get older and what you realize, why are people leaving and why do people not want to work for organizations, stay in organizations? It's when they feel there's a lack of belonging. There's a lack of moral purpose. There's a lack of equity. Yeah. And it's when they're not being appreciated when you're working really, really hard and you're slogging it with your planning and your marking and your assessment and you're staying and doing the long hours and then not getting that pat on the back. It, it breaks people. And that's what we're seeing in the profession. Loads of people are are broken and they're leaving.
0: Yeah. Um, Nadir has commented, um, well-being is about doing things that affect their work-life balance. Um, So directly impacting work-life balance. Um, Thanks, uh, Sufyan for reiterating and what I've been talking about for the last 18 months. Thanks for listening, Nadira. Um, Maxine has commented, educational psychologist here. Hope that's okay. Well, of course it's okay, Maxine. We we love all comments here from, from everybody. Um, we also have a recruitment and retention issue in educational psychologist land. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on staff CPD, coaching and supervision. I'm not sure what you mean by supervision, but staff CPD and coaching, um, so important to invest in staff, says Maxine. Um, Sophie, any comments on that in terms of uh, staff CPD and coaching being oh, a vehicle for retention?
4: And, and, and that goes back to that kind of what what, would, what can we do that's necessarily non-monetary around uh, rather than paying people more? Well, mm. actually, if people feel invested in. Uh, so that element of kind of job enrichment, uh, job rotation, job enlargement. They're the kind of things that we know from the industrial revolution of when they try to get people motivated in factories. Well, actually, it's no different now. That actually, when you train and develop people, people want to develop. That's kind of innate in a lot of people, except the fact that not everyone necessarily wants to develop. But what does that development look like? And I think, again, the onus is now back on the difficulty for schools and school leaders is, when you're asking people to stay back after school, after long days' work, in challenging circumstances, in November when they've not seen daylight when they entered school in the morning, and they're not going to see daylight as they leave. And then you put on a substandard in terms of quality, at CPD at 3.45 that goes on Till four forty-five to five fifteen. That's like not a twilight, motivated. exactly, and that's not necessarily motivating. Now, that's not to say there's not a space for twilights. That what is to say is actually teacher development, and what we see teacher development as, is something that needs to be really thought through and considered at a leadership level. How often is is teacher development and the quality and the impact of our CPD featuring as an agenda item on SLT agendas. If we're not talking about the most important thing, which is if we invest in our teachers and improve our teachers, we improve our school. If we talk about the roof leaks and the behavior by little Johnny in class X and the detentions and who's doing duties and duty spots, and we're not talking about how we investing in our teachers, what does that investment look like? Is it bespoke? Are we calling... All of these people to the training that actually doesn't apply to 70% of them or 25% of them have mastered that. Why did they have to sit through an hour and a half? How do we develop systems that are more forward-thinking than what we've traditionally been used to, which is, here's a set time and you turn up at a set time and somebody goes over some CPD. What we know is... I
0: I want to ask you actually about this and also a quick shout-out because we've got Jack Worth here from NFER who's been doing some some brilliant work in terms of sort of churning the numbers, let's say, on Yeah, he's
4: he's a big fan of mine. Well he's a bit of a well, I'll tell you <laughs> what,
0: um he's, he's, he's turned up here. I've been trying to get him for an interview for about 17 months. That's a joke, actually. Jack, <laughs> he's he's been genuinely busy, but um but what a god. Do you know what I mean? Like if you want someone to um give you some data, Jack Worth's your man. Um... Yes, one hundred percent. But I wanna I wanna say, like, in terms of I, I was going to ask you like oh actually before i come back to that question um kate are you still there if yep. kate's still there hello i wanted to ask you actually when you've applied for all these just sort of reflecting what sophian said mm-hmm. when you've applied for all these jobs that you've gone for yeah what what are the ones that you've applied for where you thought i really want that job what is it about that advert or that school or that something you've seen or felt where you thought, you know what, I'm going for that job or
3: I want that job. What are the key words? What are the things that make you go for it? Okay. Well, I think so. The couple that I put, i first actually applied for it was, I was only thinking really about location, but with the, um, with the one that I've actually got, um, it was, I was drawn to it because of the value basis that they have. So it's, it's everything that he's already been saying. it's about, And when I was interviewed for this job, um, I said to them, you know, a healthy workplace culture is fundamental. It's like non-negotiable for me because I've worked in um, child protection before and I know how important it is to have a team around you where everybody's got your your back um, and that you know that you can offload to someone and you've got that sort of guidance and support. And I I just commented um, to Maxine's comment where she's talking about supervision. So in in other sectors like um, child protection and social work, we had supervision every four weeks where we would talk to a line manager and that gives you that time to debrief and sort of get that guidance for your professional development. Um, And you can review and reflect on your practice and um, any particular things that you're concerned about. And I was really shocked when I made the move into the education sector that 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 doesn't happen. because it's you know that these are both professions that are challenging and work with children um, and i found it surprising that something like supervision wasn't set up um with within schools
0: yeah wow yeah absolutely spot on um i want to uh lots of people are commenting which is fantastic and we've we've hit over 50 in the in the show live so thank you very much everybody for joining in and i, I think we've had over 300 already sort of popping in and out so that's that's awesome Um, I just want to say, uh, sort of read this comment that's come in from a non-educator, not a non-educator, as in anonymous educator, because that would be very mean of me to to call somebody a nothing educator. So a non-educator says, "Um, yes, retention, but the Byzantine recruitment process needs massive change. Forms with the same thing in different ways. Odd feedback, strange interview requests. The whole thing is ridiculous. Well... A non-educator, I think you've just joined in at exactly the right time. Because if you checked out my new term, because if you have not yet, you need to click on Google and just type in my new term, all one word, all close together. Because I'll tell you what, it's going to revolutionise um, the, as you call it, the the sort of um, Byzantine recruitment process um and and particularly the application process for you as a teacher so highly recommend checking that out but on that whole list of things forms with the same thing in different ways well that's the thing that my new term deals with because you fill in one form and then that is the same form that you use for every single job that you go for bob's your uncle but the rest of it when it says odd feedback what they said odd feedback strange interview requests. I'd love to know a non-educator whether you could expand on that with strange interview requests. Um, you know, I, I remember once when I was asked to tap dance in an interview. No, I wasn't really, but I'm sure everybody has their story of things in an interview where uh, maybe like a particular, like I know we, we can talk about like data tasks and stuff like that. Um, Sofian, do you have any, what you would consider sort of oddball stuff that you ask candidates to do when they apply? <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: no, because I, I think that the problem is is managing the ego of leaders, who almost to an extent, sometimes we we as leaders want to make people go through the hoops and processes to prove themselves, but actually, mm. what are they proving? Because a lot of the time, wow. yeah. a, a, a lot is proven by the credibility of the application, and for us, yeah. actually... It's about viewing an interview as a two-way process. It's going back to that edu date thing. It's two people (laughs) reviewing each other. It's two people (laughs) reviewing each other. You can't go into that date thinking, actually, this is a done-to model, that you're going to have to do this to prove to us. Well, actually, by doing that, you've proven to them you're probably not a worthy employer for them. And for their talent to be nurtured and developed in that environment where you're making them do ludicrous things to get through a process that actually offer no level of insight or intelligence around why that person would be suitable for the role. Because, again, some of it's we've always done this and we're going to carry on doing this or we just want to fill out and pack out a day. We don't need to fill out a day. If you are not going to look at that written task, then don't make them do a written task. If you're not interested, just because they now have to sit there and write for an hour and a half because you've got a gap that you can't fill, well, I guess what? If you left them with a bit of Wi-Fi and left them alone in a the room, they wouldn't mind.
0: Um, Kate, did you have any, like, random stuff you had to do for interviews, like, presume, or, or just, like, the standard stuff, like, teach a lesson and whatever?
3: Uh, so they often want you to do a presentation about me, myself, and I, don't they, which are fine, <laughs> makes What's that? <laughs> me, my, you have to do a presentation about me, myself, and I. Who, who does that? <laughs> Lots of them do it. They want you to talk about. Or well, I had to bring an object um, uh, to to one actually, and they, um, yeah, you had what to expre- explain why this object uh, represented who you were. So I took a history book, which will be useless. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs>
3: brilliant. Like, bring in an object that explains yes.
0: who you are.
3: Yeah. But mainly yeah mainly was the teaching and um writing a letter to parents or something
0: like that. You've done that one as well. You have to write yeah. a as a task. Yes, yeah. Wow. That's it so write like write about what?
3: Um I think if you were writing it to the parents of your future class. So I know I know some of my other colleagues have had to do um, other various things. I can't remember them at the moment, but I remember thinking that is odd. A, <laughs> there are some things that are more more complicated than others.
0: Sophia, what do you think? Would you would you ask a candidate to bring an object that represented them into the, to the interview? Uh,
4: no, but I've heard that it is done. I've, it's not the first time I'm hearing it. I've
0: heard that it's done. But I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad... I, I, I'm literally... Like, that's the first time I've heard of it. So I'm sort of just digesting it. But...
4: To, to it, be fair, some of these wild and wacky ones that don't necessarily create a huge load of workload for someone in preparation for an interview, I'm not necessarily against. I reckon it just brings... And yeah. the dimension of creative thinking. Well, that's what so. I mean. Cause
0: it's sort of quirky, isn't it? It's sort of a bit different. But, like, I want to go back something to what you said a few minutes ago, which was around like getting a candidate to do loads of tasks. You already sort of, I think, I can't remember what you said, but something about ego, it was really good. It was like, if you already know who the person is, then why get them to do more, if that makes sense? Like, can you expand on that point again? Just because so, I don't I think, want to paraphrase
4: you. I, I think. A good quality application, uh, the credentials of the individual, uh, where they went to university, what A-levels they did, what grades, and all of these things that we're privy to and we get to see on an application often demonstrate a very good insight into that person. If you if they've got school history uh, and they've worked in other schools, again, you can look up the schools and you can look up the curriculums now online. You can see so much and such wealth of information that you can gather from the application process that for you now to say, right, actually, uh, and people do this, people say, I'm going to do a two-day process because actually uh, it's going to start seven in the morning. It's going to go on till six in the evening, and." In my school, to work in my school, you've got to absolutely sweat it and this will give them a flavor of what it's like. Well, no, you've just given them a flavor of why they shouldn't work for you. And making things like that and putting tasks in eliminates people. It, it, allows, it makes, creates reasons for people not to work for you because it's all about what you think people need to demonstrate to prove to you as an individual and to your ego that they're good enough to work for you as opposed to let's look at the job and let's look at the spec and let's look at what will allow us to get the best possible insight into whether that person meets that specification.
0: Yeah, spot on. Um, Wayne, this is one for you um, from somebody listening. Um, Daddy UCO, um has commented saying it would be nice to have a feature on My New Term where international applicants know what jobs offer visa sponsorship. Um, I wonder whether that's something that you're sort of aware of, because I know there's a, th- th- there are sort of a lot of um, international applicants looking to get jobs in the UK as well.
1: Yes, correct. Um, and this is actually something that's come up um, a few times now um, in, because there is an increasing number of people from outside the UK of the um, applying to schools. Um, so it's actually a feature that we recently developed um, and, Candidates that are searching can see which schools offer visa sponsorship for particular roles. And it means that candidates are obviously applying to schools that they know that visa sponsorship is potentially available. Um, But likewise, schools aren't inundated with applications if, of course, they're not able to offer visa sponsorship. It's a very um, complex and often expensive thing. Um, for employers to go through to be able to offer that sponsorship, so obviously only only selected ones tend to do so. So that filter is actually already available on on my new term uh,
0: okay. that we So features. you can already do that now.
1: Yeah, they can do that now. Yeah, again, it's all come from feedback. Every little feature that we develop at my new term comes from feedback from candidates, from employers, um and it, you know it's it's that cycle of of just continually making it better and better and adapting to changes that's constantly happening within the sector.
0: Spot on. Um, Sophie, another comment here from Peter, um, who said, this talk is interesting. I like. I, I work in Swindon as a math teacher. I've been at my current school um, for nine years and I've no intention of leaving. But um, the opposite, um, we have the opposite regarding applicants. I'm surprised every time we get an applicant for a math teacher, um, nobody wants a job. Now, I want to sort of ask you, because uh, I know you put a thread out on Twitter uh, like, a couple of weeks ago about this. Um, about your sort of quest to, to recruit and stuff and, and the challenges of, of doing that. Are we at sort of crisis point here? Because I know Wayne mentioned earlier through my new term, you can see that there are regional variations in terms of like some schools are getting 70 applicants for a job. Other schools are struggling to get any. I want to put a little anecdotal thing in here. I got an email through this morning from an agency, um, which, which was representing one particular school now I'm actually going to pull it up on my phone now, so I can actually read out. Um, I won't name the agency, obviously, or or the school, but I'll just read out sort of what the um, the situation is for for this. Uh, if I can find it, hang on, two seconds. Uh, oh, I can't find it, but I'll just I'll just like paraphrase what it was. Basically, said we this school uh, is recruiting for, and it listed. 10 um full-time positions for september now so in my head i'm going um well number one that the deadline has passed for people being able to put in their resignations and that's another thing i wonder whether we need to look at changing as well actually for this recruitment and retention particularly recruitment is is the windows for resignations and hiring i don't know whether we need to sort of think hang on a minute has the world changed do people want things faster do we need to start looking at how things are flexible and how things are pragmatic a bit more and do the the teacher resignation windows as they are now fit in with that as a question i might ask later on but anyway this email came through and it was 10 positions in one school for september um and i just thought wow like you're how are they going to fill that Um, Sophia, I don't know whether you want to talk a little bit about the current challenges, the landscape um, and how tough it is out there
4: It it is tough uh, and I think,
0: I I don't like the
4: use of the term crisis normally because Mm. it suggests something really serious, something that requires uh, the very highest level of intervention, but having a picture of both the ITT element, the ECT element through our teaching school and what people are feeling in terms of how they see themselves in the profession, how difficult it is to get people to apply into being teachers, how difficult it is then to retain either ECTs or even ITTs to the United Kingdom because they flying off to Dubai will get you a four-day week and a lot more money going to Saudi will get you a lot more money. Uh, going to the Far East will get you more money and a better lifestyle, how do we retain them? How do we get them at ITT? How do we then retain them for ECT? And once they're ECTs, how do we make sure that they stay in the profession? And uh, the one thing that's coming through, and a lot of it's anecdotal in terms of what we're hearing from people, but more often than not, people are struggling uh, to recruit people are struggling to recruit because the talent doesn't exist in some localities that even if you are a really strong school with a strong brand and you're doing all the right marketing, you can't create from magic dust physics teachers that don't exist. You can't create these music teachers and these French and German teachers that don't exist. Uh, But the the traction around things like the blog, uh, the thread, If you see the thread I put out and Lorraine Hughes, our deputy CEO, put a blog out on LinkedIn. And again, it got lots of interest because people identify it as a massive issue that they're relating with and they understand the pain off. Now, there are schools in most places. And this kind of brings me on to something that I've felt for a long time. The dangers of a crisis like this is that it creates a rich school versus poor school uh, uh, kind of divide within the country. So if we go by some of the data, what we know is, uh, and Jack would have kind of confirmed this, that actually some of the better teachers uh, want to uh, tend to end up working in more affluent areas. More affluent areas tend to have uh, a higher proportion of better performing schools and therefore people want to live around there whereas challenging schools uh, typically aren't only challenging they don't face their challenges because they've had a, a head teacher that perhaps has driven the standards into the ground but they've normally driven finances and operations and the building into the ground somebody takes over this really challenging school and wants to make a difference in a challenging context where the kids desperately need a good teacher Finding good teachers in those environments is impossible because they have no money, uh, they can't compete on price, they can't give people amazing career opportunities and TLRs and responsibility points. And those schools in this crisis will suffer. So those schools in poorer communities, the poorer schools in performance, are going to struggle a lot more, while richer schools financially in better, more affluent areas with higher performance... May weather the storm to an extent. Now I, I, I accept it's a generalization to an extent, but what we will see is the the, the improvement factor of some schools. They, how can you improve if you have no teachers? There's no point coming back to see me if and inspecting me or or coming to try and assess where I am if you've if I have not been able to fill 20 gaps or 10 gaps. We had a school within our trust. Uh, it had 40 plus vacancies last summer. 40 plus vacancies. Now, we filled those vacancies, but there's going to be similar schools up and down the country on coastal towns that will struggle to fill those vacancies.
0: So, eight. what's it? So, th- this school th- you mentioned, the one with the 40 vacancies in a year, whatever it was, right? Are you able to fill that? I mean, what what happens if you... My question is, this school that I got an email from this morning, well, the agency, not the school, um, if they don't fill those roles, those 10 roles they've got going that are all full-time positions, I'm guessing then you have to use agency staff and then it's a massive budgetary issue or, you know, what happens? What does the school do in that situation?
4: Well, well, the thing is, it, it goes back to that point. The poor school already that was struggling because they couldn't recruit, they had to spend money on adverts and they still didn't manage to recruit. They now have to spend on agency which will yeah. tear through their budgets and that school will struggle to come out of that cycle. It's, it's very similar to the cycle of poverty around people who are struggling with poverty. Actually, unless there's intervention around how we support people that are struggling unless there's intervention around how we support schools that are struggling financially, whether it's trying to get people attracting talent. Now, there's people that, why would you go to the most challenging coastal town uh, schools? Why would you go into the inner city with really challenging schools where three miles up the road, the leafy suburbs start and the school there is giving you a bit more money? Now, it's good to say, well, There's people in the system that want to do it for the moral purpose and the goodwill. But the people in the system are reducing. The system doesn't have enough people in it and it has more jobs than it has people. And we're not creating more talent coming through. So it will be difficult. Honestly, the answer to that is schools will have to start working on how they make themselves attractive propositions, even if they're in difficult contexts. And I believe that because Some of our schools are in very challenging contexts, but our schools have worked tirelessly to make themselves attractive propositions where people feel that it may be a challenging school in a challenging uh, geographical area with the demographics that it serves, but it's rewarding because being a part of that organisation and that school under that leadership is something that will be rewarding and I'll be more fulfilled being there. I'll belong when i'm there there's people that look like me there i'll feel included i'll have a voice and those factors still override even in real extreme cases we're going back to the fact that actually 40 people that joined that school came from really challenging really good schools and outstanding schools joined a really challenging context why because they believe in the leadership and they believe in the vision they believe in the moral purpose so it does happen but as schools We've got to open our shop front and our doors and say to people, come see who we are as people, see what we stand for, see what matters to us and see why you can be a part of this journey and be more fulfilled as a teacher. Because actually, deep down, we know you came into teaching to make a difference. Now, we're going to tap into that by showing you we're going to enable you to make a difference and we're going to support you. We're going to thank you. We're going to reward you.
0: Can, can I ask, um, and I also want to ask Wayne actually about this as well. Um, I might start with Wayne on this one. Actually, is um, I, I saw a tweet by Sam Strickland a couple of days ago, um, which I completely agreed with when he said we need we need more radical approaches to teacher recruitment and retention, particularly. And one of the examples he gave was sort of a four day week he mentioned that. Um, but other things that I've sort of uh, talked about myself before are things around more, uh, flexi opportunities, more work from home opportunities, more, uh, you know, PPA, you can leave the school site and premises and go home. If you have a PPA in an afternoon, um, more opportunities to work at the times that you want to work. Um, less expectation on a teacher to have to work uh, during set time periods that might not be the best for them. Um, and I go back to the sort of 1990s, early 2000s, you know, my parents were teachers, the whole, oh, the head teacher's there in the, in the office watching the cars that are still in the car park by, you know, 4.30 or whatever it might be, or five o'clock or whatever it might be, um, to give them brownie points. You know, that sort of attitude, trying to you know and that attitude has you know changed a lot but teachers out there who are applying for jobs now are surely coming out of covid and looking at their friends who work in all these other industries who are now looking at their working patterns in a very different way teaching hasn't changed at all but other jobs have changed and in fact even before covid those jobs were starting to change but now it's it's been a, it's been a sea change so as a graduate or somebody who even has started out as a teacher and they're looking at their peers who work in professional uh workplaces and they're looking and going we are getting a raw deal here we're getting a raw deal in terms of pay we're getting a raw deal but more marked in terms of the lifestyle with which we can actually do our job so Wayne i want to ask you first Is there anything that my new term does or can do to support the teacher who wants to work, uh, whether they want a part time role or whether they just want to work uh, in a a more flexible sort of environment? Or is there anything that my new term can do to support this general approach to trying to change the the, the sort of culture of, of recruitment and retention?
1: So it's quite a big question that you've asked there. That Tom, is a very big lots, question. Lots to that I could kind of unpick and dive into. If I kinda of go to the exact question that you've asked about my new term specifically, um when candidates apply for any school job, um they are asked do they want to apply on either a part-time basis or mm. working or as a job share? Okay. So as a result of that, um it does um, allow candidates to kind of express that as a as an interest um, and then also schools can review those applications etc but obviously part of that is you know down to that individual school about whether that is something that they would um you know be willing to accept you know yeah is it just easier to have one permanent FTE teacher as opposed to having as a job share or you but know, do you like
0: with the with the schools on my new term do you sort of ask them? Look, are you sort of open to job share, flexi, part time applicants? And
1: correct, you know, yeah. So yeah. it's very, very easy for, for candidates to filter by part time role, for example. Um, schools will obviously specify it's part time, full time, term time only, um, all you know, all year round. So it's very easy to do that. And there is an increasing number of schools that. For certain support roles, I would say, they may express that obviously homeworking is is an option. So there's a particular example I can think of recently of of more like a data role within a trust and it explicitly states within the advert itself that um you know this can be a remote role it doesn't have to be based and i know of certain again typically support roles um so like maybe a hr director for example or you know within within back office um you know they can be feasibly completed remotely a lot of the time um and you know they're not common within the sector but they could become increasingly increasingly more so if it's if it's really encouraged Teaching is always going to be hard, though, um, because we've seen, obviously, through the experiences of COVID, and, you know, we've been through what it's like to teach remotely and online. Mm-hmm. It's, really, it's really difficult. Um, and, you know, being in that classroom environment in person does make all the difference. So, um, you know, there are elements to it that obviously could, you know, work within that of PPA time and potentially more flexibility. And, um, you know, there are some schools that I know of that obviously don't follow what I'd call maybe the traditional um, academic year of, let's say, six weeks summer holiday. You know, I know of some schools, I'm pretty sure it's like the the five weeks plus then the two-week holiday, five weeks, two weeks. Again, yeah. few and far between, but I am aware that there are those types of things which obviously suit some people, of course, and, and wouldn't others, but there is always going to be some form of limitations. Um, but I think with the ever-increasing development and adoption of technology and, and how quickly things are changing you know across the board like there is real things to be looking forward to and excitement for the future yeah because i
0: i i wrote way in full disclosure like back in 2016 i wrote this article which looking back now it is slightly cringe but i really enjoyed writing it at the time um which was like the future of education so this was in 2016 that i wrote this right this was like Years before COVID or any of the sort of like remote stuff that has happened, anyway, in this article I wrote, I was like, my two questions were: How can you make it more sustainable for teachers, and also how can you integrate new technology? And I know I got a load of stick at the time for this article. Well, not a load of stick, but many people were sort of like, "Yeah, this is really interesting." And actually, Microsoft found it really interesting. Or oh, not Microsoft, Google. That's a bad mistake by me. Google found it really interesting and published it on their on their sort of education platform at the time. But there were many comments as well that were sort of critical. But the gist of it was that, and I know this is controversial, but the gist of it was that you would have four days of sort of, if you like, in inverted commas, normal uh, timetabled teaching days, and then on the fifth day, or this, or actually, I think in my model, it was every afternoon. Uh, so it was a morning of teaching in a in inverted commas normal timetable teaching day, and then every afternoon, all the students would go into a giant mega hall, like the school hall, almost sat in sort of like an exam desk sort of format, and they would be basically plugged in to, um, whether I mean, my original thinking in 2016 was actually live lesson content, so a little bit like during COVID when there was like children uh, of key workers in school doing live lessons with teachers, a little bit more like that, sort of like one to one tutoring. Um, but also, you know, you think about um Oak National Academy and all the other sort of developments that we've seen, you know, whether there'd be some integration there, but ultimately, the idea was. That there would be hundreds of students in a giant hall for an hour ninety minutes a day. The rest of the time they'd be on their normal timetable, and that would almost then free up, uh, you know, eighty percent of the teaching staff to either go home or to work on their professional development or to work with small clusters of students who needed particular intervention or whatever right now i understand that that is a very sort of at the time it was controversial and it probably still is now but there is still in my opinion um something to think about there um because i still am not sure whether um the model that we currently have is sustainable in terms of getting teachers in keeping them in and competing with other industry professionals in other areas and obviously attracting people into the profession keeping them in there i like what you said wayne though about um more the the being uh, you know even you having that option uh when people sign up for my new term of being able to click you know uh, uh do I want flexi work? Do I want part time? Do I want to work in somewhere where, you know, it promotes flexi work? All those things I think are like something that probably wasn't there, you know, ten years ago as much. So I think that's a really positive development. Um, Sophia, I wonder whether you have any commentary on what I've just said, what Wayne said, and the original question about more radical things that's that we can do Look. to sort recruitment.
4: Clearly, you're like the Nostradamus of education back in 2016 (laughs) and foresaw everything that was coming. That's
0: it, Sophia, that's it. That's exactly (laughs) what it
4: was. (laughs) But I think there's kind of a a couple of races now, like our kind of equivalent to the race to the moon. Like, what is it that's going to stand out for the schools, the multi-academy trusts that weather the storm and basically get the talent one is i think the marketing the branding uh, it's got to become a part of what we do making sure that people know what we're about that part has to be high on the agenda the moral purpose belonging and the inclusion part and the well-being so that looking after the people when they're with you and getting that right is the second and the third for me is that flexibility because the the market has changed. The times have changed. Uh, you have an option of having no teacher and in some cases not even able to access supply because of the short supply of supply uh, that exists again within the system. You've got to then think, right, am I better off having that teacher that said that they would love to be back in the classroom and they're brilliant, but they want to drop their children off? in the morning, and they want to pick them up after school. Am I better off having them from 9.30 to 2.30? Well, I I think all of the options and things that you mentioned around flexibility, around how often, this almost part-time teachers for a long time have got stick because, you know what, actually part-time ruin your timetable and split classes. and Well, actually, in the times we're in, if you want to get ahead on that race to get people... Talent does exist, but there's trapped talent in the market. That trapped talent is people that are sitting at home or out of the system because the system was unable to be agile and flexible enough to work around the talent. What we now have to do is accept the fact that this notion that people have to change to adapt to schools, those days are gone. Schools and multi-academy trusts need to adapt their approaches to fit the flexibility and agility that people are looking for in organizations to say, actually, you can be a great parent and do the school runs because that's what you want to do and that's high on your priority and be a great teacher and we're going to make it work. You can work part-time. You can do, uh, you know, after school sessions because you're just interested in doing some interventions. You can even help out, actually. We want to reduce the load on our teachers for doing interventions, whether it's in holidays or on weekends. We're going to use those that have retired around how can we bring them into uh, support with intervention, with small part-time contracts, whatever it may be. Flexible working is the way forward. And it's got to be something that we've got to start exploring as organisations to capture that talent.
0: Yeah, I love what you said there about, I think you used the phrase trap talent Um you know, people sort of out of the system that the system can't accommodate. I mean, well, I think it's interesting that, like, when people are going for jobs now, um, I do wonder whether applicants should be, I mean, the system like My New Term helps this, I guess, because there's now a whole plethora of information, I'm guessing, at your fingertips, Sophie, and from My New Term, where you, you know, you can look at, you know, lots of details about a candidate rather than just, like, you know 20 years ago it would have been like a i don't know a, a really sort of sketchy cv maybe more and maybe an ap- application but you know i'm guessing now you've got lots and lots of uh, stuff to look at but my point is do do you think that uh, do you think that applicants should be asking more questions and actually making more demands do you think they should actually be saying you know what you know i am a very valuable commodity i do have these things that i want I feel as though there's still that element with some people where they're thinking, is it rude for me to ask for this or is it bad for me to ask for this or is it, like, not a teacher thing to do to say, I want this? Do you you know what I mean? Like, do you think that's I I totally get it. And uh, a few years ago when I first connected
4: with you, Tom, one of the reasons where you were one of the outspoken voices talking about burnout, stress... Uh, the lack of well-being in our profession and i i think you were speaking of what a lot of people were feeling i think the difference is that the low supply in the system the low number of itt coming through the low number of ects means the voices when you were making that noise a few years back yeah and it perhaps was treated by people as almost being nuisance is now mm-hmm. actually we've got to listen to those voices because you were a great history teacher. And actually you, you could quite easily be lost to the system because that we, the system was not flexing to meet your needs. If you're going for a job and if you know that actually well being is something you're str- struggling with and, you know, perhaps mm. depression is something you're struggling with or stress management yeah. is something you struggle with. I, I think it's about saying, I love history. I love, I love teaching history. I'm brilliant in the classroom. But I've got to tell you, that I've got to really look after these aspects of myself because in the last couple of jobs I had, I burnt out. But yeah. I use a kind of employer that can support me in getting the best out of me under the best conditions and flexible conditions that allow me to be the best me. And I think that... It's sort of like being there.
0: honest, isn't it, as well? It's sort
4: 100%. Of like being...
0: Yeah. Like, like when you turn up for a job saying, look, not, not, not being, it's not about being rude. It's not about being like, I want this and I want that. It's not that, but it is being like, you know, I am who I am. You know, this is my experience. I'm not sort of going to, you know, like try and oversell myself, but equally I'm going to ask for what I want. You know, I'm going to say clearly what I want and actually ask all the questions like there's been, you know, I'm going back 15 years now. My first teacher interviews I went for, um, and by the way, um, I'm still teaching, mate. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> but I, Brilliant. Uh, so I'm still present tense on history teaching, just about. Um, but th- 15 years ago, like, I never, when they said at the end, you know, are there any questions you have? Like, you know, like, I think we used to sort of say, here's a good question you could ask at the end. <laughs> You know, like when when I remember when I was teacher training, they were like, here's three questions you could ask at the end of the interview. They were like stock generic questions like you should ask about your work life balance. You know, whereas I think like it's good for starting to move past that and be like, right. No, actually, think about yourself. Think about what you want and actually but then address it, those questions. It will also
4: tell you a lot about them because that whole going back to an interview is that dating process actually, if you really reveal your human self and show that I'm a human and I've got some challenges I'm trying to work around. I love the, the reason I've got that moral purpose and moral drive of why I teach. I, yeah. I'm effective in the classroom, but I want to present this to you. How you respond to that will say a lot about them as an organization. And those organizations that are still stuck in the dark ages or as somebody said, the Byzantine times, Well, they're going to struggle because actually with the shortage of supply in the system, unless you're able to be agile enough and adaptive enough to work to the needs of the market, you're not going to get the best talent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've got um, Moomin and also Kat uh, Howard has joined us. So I'm going to go first to uh, Moomin and see if Moomin has something to say on any of this. If you want to unmute yourself, bottom left, mate. Hopefully that'll work. There you go. Oh, sorry. I, I, I didn't know I'd put myself on speaker. Not a problem. Oh, oh really? Okay. Goodbye and good to see you. <laughs> sorry. sorry. It's all right. It was good. It's good to hear your voice. Um, Kat. Um, maybe you didn't do it by accident. I didn't do it by accident.
2: accident. It was deliberate. Uh, Thank God for that for you, for your sake anyway. Um, I think it's really interesting um, and really resonates with a lot of conversations that I'm having at the moment around recruitment. And I wonder whether some of this like some of what's sitting behind a lot of the conversations about like good places to work and, and not so effective places to work is this I think systemic issue that you see with school leadership and educational leadership and the fact that we don't really prepare people for like line managing other people and so on the one side of this argument you've got um kind of teachers saying that you know, my flexible working request wasn't accommodated for, I haven't been accommodated for in terms of that human aspect that, that, um, that Sufjan is talking about. But on the other side of that, when we're perhaps missing a trick in terms of preparing people for what it means to to line manage effectively, and and manage people. And, if I compare my experience in education to my experience in finance, you you went through like a four to six week induction process before you even assumed a role. So things like, HR processes, uh, financial management, uh, flexible working policy, yeah. um, and that kind of uh, what what we used to call kind of career long care. So not just thinking about induction when somebody walks through the building to work at that that organisation, but also when they want to start a family, when they're looking at winding down for a time, and what what does that package look like? Um, what does secondment look like? And that's you know as a really established tool to take care of people in actually a systematic way. So I think there's a couple of things that are just um, coming through, making me think about on the other side of this conversation is to what degree we actually prepare people to be able to kind of manage, manage a team of people and take care of a team of people in a really effective way so that they feel pretty equipped to do that when they come to that role rather than, you know, what we know and we've perhaps learned from ECT induction and everything is that it's not a baptism of fire. So that we're not putting people into middle leadership roles or senior leadership roles where they haven't necessarily had that exposure to HR processes, you know, and and yeah, just listening to to you guys just talk then made me think about um, that, that that's perhaps the systemic issue that that's sitting behind this is is we can talk about kind of bringing that assertion to what you need and asking for what you want and that is really important yeah. but part of that that dual narrative is how do we prepare people to to know how to have those conversations know how to to respond effectively to those conversations I suppose
0: yeah like 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 I said I mean I, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that like yeah it's a difficult one because what you don't want to do is obviously be rude like no one wants to be rude and I don't th- but so... i don't think
2: it is rude asking for what you want but i also yeah. want to make sure that the person but that i'm going risk, to though, ask yeah like you know? knows how to respond or knows know, like knows what i'm asking for so if i'm coming to somebody yeah. and saying yeah. do you know what i i need flexible working um yeah. because i've you know i've got three children in three different places of, of, of care of child care um I, I need you to accommodate for me. How are you able to do that? I need that person on the other side to go, okay, so these are our options because they've got really yeah. healthy mental models of what it means to support in, you know, employees with, with flexible working. And if they haven't got that, then what are we doing as a system to really prepare them to have those conversations, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Um, Sophia, I don't know whether you want to sort of on that. No, I, I think uh
4: hit the nail on the head with the fact that actually are we doing enough in the system to train people around how to manage humans so there's lots around specialisms around teaching and learning and around behavior around leadership but does the leadership element actually is what we're training people around leadership is it contextually uh, relevant to the times we're living in in a crisis we're actually Understanding that human, leading people is a massive part of the role. Like this concept, I always find it fascinating that just because you're a great footballer does not mean that you're going to be a great manager. Frank Lampard, uh, uh, throw, throw that out there. Because actually, the two are very different skills. What we have in education that does happen a lot is if you're a great teacher and if you're a great head of year, you suddenly start climbing the ladder, Does that mean that you've got the skill set to equip you to deal with managing humans, human emotions through challenging times, dealing with how do you deal with someone who's stressed? How do you deal with someone who's got well-being challenges? How do you deal and support someone with workload issues that actually the factors that are creating barriers for retention and stopping people from staying in this profession? How do we train leaders be experts in that so they might have that domain expertise in the subject area but we're not equipping them to manage humans and what a lot of people are saying and I keep kind of reiterating this point people want to be led by people and they want their emotions to be understood not like the robot but like a human they want another human to be able to empathize with them to be able to support them to understand them to understand that they've got the same needs to grow and kind of self-actualize and become something rather than uh, people not connecting with people. And I think when people leave, when people leave employment, and I get to speak to a lot of people that are leave a school and are looking for a job, and often they're leaving not because of money and not always because of progression, because they're not, they don't feel human enough in that school. How do we do that without training people? And I think, really hit it with the fact that we've got to train our leaders to be better at managing people because that'll go a long way in the retention factor
0: Right, that's a, that's a great way to think, unfortunately we've run out of time um, it's been a wonderful 97 minutes um, of, of conversation um, uh, so a, a huge uh, thanks to uh, uh, Sufian, to Wayne, to Kate uh, to Kat for calling in, uh, to Moomin for calling in by accident and calling in again, possibly by accident. Moomin, are you there again? I, I, I am there, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna next time. I'm gonna call in, and talk properly. I did have something to say, but okay. I'll leave it to next time. <laughs> okay, do do it next time. We, we definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a fantastic uh, conversation, and um, a huge thanks, <laughs> a, a particular thanks to. My New Term for supporting the show tonight and if you're not familiar with My New Term and you're either a teacher or a school leader, so a teacher looking for a job or a school leader looking to recruit, then it is absolutely well worth your time to go to MyNewTerm.com and just have a look at the offering that they are giving because um, it's something that I (laughs) It's something that I put that I didn't click. uh, I didn't click the clap button. By the way, I don't know who did. Was it Sufian? Maybe was it Nathan? I I I did. I just saw somebody else
4: do it, and then I googled how to do it
0: (laughs) because I wanted to do it as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, but definitely, definitely, like on a genuine level, um, it really annoys and frustrates me how much money gets ploughed into the sort of recruitment black hole, the void. Um, by schools and they and and my new term is part of the solution in that or could be part of the solution for you yeah, for that so the teacher but also the school leader so while well we're checking out massive thanks to wayne and um, for supporting the show tonight uh top man um and also uh, to kate for coming on um final thanks is to nathan uh, my administrator this show will be available as a podcast. Uh, in the next couple of days. So if you listen to your podcasts on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, uh, TuneIn radio, iHeartRadio, Samsung, um, I could go on. We're listening on 12 different platforms. Amazon Music, you can, you know, you can shout to your your box and say, play Teachers Talk Radio. It'll play as a play Wayne Carmel. It'll play Wayne. OK, so do that, do that. Um, and and it will be there. Um, that'll be in a couple of days time. So if you've got a colleague or a friend and you think, you know what, I've, I've listened to a bit of this. It was really cool. It was really useful. Please wait for the podcast to come out and then um, and then send them a link to that. Um, of course, you can also listen to it on this link on Twitter, the same link that it started on tonight. Um, so we will be back on Teachers Talk Radio tomorrow with more shows and tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Uh, we've got a special show uh, with Pearson MFL uh, which is going to be really interesting, a panel of six uh, contributors talking all things modern foreign languages so if you're here at 7.30pm tomorrow evening, that's definitely one to tune into with Darren Lester hosting, that'll be absolutely mint Uh, have a fantastic evening everybody Uh, and uh, I hope your, your first week back is going well see you later